I tell you what, let's do something real quick. Would y'all give this, these guys a hand? We don't, we don't do this enough. I'm telling y'all right now. I'm telling y'all. These guys are the best in the country. They really are. And it is such a privilege, Aaron, to have you and your band with us. Love you, brother. Um, I want you to open up your Bibles to the book of 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 um, and verse 21 and we'll get there in just a minute. We, we finished our series that we've been calling Convictions, where we're looking at kind of the foundations of the church. And today we're getting back into First Peter. And if you're new to the Austin Stone, then, then you know that verse, then you may not know rather that we go, when we're on a series, we go verse by verse through the Bible. And so we're back into the book of First Peter. And today, um, what we're gonna do is we're gonna see the Apostle Peter address a subject that if you live long enough, every single person in this room is going to eventually experience. Everybody here, you've either experienced it or you're going to in your life. And so if you've never experienced it or you're not experiencing it now, just know something, it's coming. And, uh, and here's what that is, it's suffering. And suffering specifically because of something that was not your fault. So, uh, suffering because of something you did not do. And I'm gonna refer to this kind of suffering throughout the sermon as unjust suffering, unjust suffering. <clears throat> There's an example of that that happened in our um, country this week. And if you've, you've paid attention at all, you know that guy got up in a 30 second story building of, uh, of, of a hotel in Las Vegas, fired hundreds of, of rounds from a high powered gun down at um, a bunch of people that were just attending a concert and dozens of people were killed, hundreds of people were wounded. And every single one of those people, and every single one of those people's families, as we speak, in a very real way, are experiencing right now unjust suffering. They're suffering, they're experiencing horrible emotional and physical pain because of nothing they did. They were just going to a concert. Now, guys, again, that's an extreme example, but the fact of the matter is, is that every single one of you, at some level in your life, will experience that. You'll experience some level of, of, of suffering in your life that really didn't have anything to do with what you were doing. It came upon your life because of the sin of another person. All right, it's, it's like the, uh, some examples here. It's the person that thinks that you were being rude in traffic and you absolutely had no intention whatsoever of being rude in traffic, and so they flipped you off. You're, right, you're suffering unjustly there. It's the spouse that treats you poorly, the boyfriend, the girlfriend, that treats you poorly because they just had a bad day, not because of you. <clears throat> it's the boss that overlooks you for a raise or a promotion and gives it to somebody else because of some sort of office politics. It's a friend that you thought had your back but you find out that they're actually talking about you behind your back. It's the person on social media that attacks you or makes some offhanded mean comment towards you. It's the person that makes a, uh, a racist statement to you because of the color of your skin. <clears throat> I could go on and on and on and give examples, but, but all of us at some point, all of us at some point will endure suffering because of circumstances that were not our fault. And if you've ever been in that kind of situation, and most of us have, if you've lived long enough, listen, you know how unbelievably difficult it is, right? You know how unbelievably difficult it is to overcome the hurt and overcome the pain and, and overcome the resentment and overcome the bitterness that comes from suffering unjustly and then respond back in a way that's honoring to the Lord. <clears throat> what the Bible's gonna do today 
is we're gonna look and the Bible's gonna show us exactly how as believers we are called to respond to these people when unjust suffering comes into our lives. Now, before I jump into the text, what I wanna do, <coughs> excuse me, is I wanna make a clarification and show you that there's a pretty significant difference between suffering unjustly, and that's when you're suffering for no fault of your own, and suffering justly, which means you're suffering because you're an idiot, right? There's a big difference between the two, right? If you, if you, if you got fired from your job because you were lazy and have a bad work, work ethic, you are not suffering unjustly, right? You're suffering because you're lazy and you have a bad work ethic. If you're suffering because you're like, I don't have any friends, right? You might not have any friends because you're, you're a punk, right? Nobody wants to hang out with you. If you're, if you're suffering in your marriage because you're like your wife uh, is not acting the way you think your wife ought to be acting, it might be because you're a crappy husband, right? And so you need to make sure that you understand the difference between uh, suffering justly and suffering unjustly. And if you're suffering justly here today, the way you respond to that is you change the behavior that is causing the just suffering in your life. But if you're suffering unjustly because of the, the sin or, or the effects of other people, then the Bible is very, very clear in this text about how you, are, you and I are to respond. So this is really cool. Let's watch it together. First Peter chapter two, verse 21. <clears throat> Peter says, for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And so Peter begins this discussion about how you and I are called to react to unjust suffering when it comes into our lives, but he begins, before he tells us how we're to do it, he begins with an interesting statement. Look at verse 21 again. He says, church, he's speaking to believers here, and remember, he's writing to a church that's going through persecution because of their faith in Christ, and he he starts off the statement about how we're supposed to respond. He says, for to this you have been called. He's like, hey, believer, to this you have been called. He's like, hey, before I get into telling you how you're to respond to unjust suffering, there's something that you need to know, believer. This is a calling on your life. The way that you are to respond when unjust suffering comes is not an option. It's not a request of the scripture. This is a calling that the Lord God Almighty places on you as a child of God. And so that's kind of the foundational place we start before we get into practical ways of how you need to know this is not an option for us. This is a calling by God himself upon you and for me. And then, and he continues, look at verse 21 again. He starts getting specific. He says, for to this you've been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example leaving you and I an example so that you might follow in his steps. And so Peter's saying, hey, the calling on the life of the believer when we encounter unjust suffering is to follow the example of Jesus and to walk in his steps. In other words, um, when we encounter unjust suffering, the way we are to respond is the way that Jesus responded when he encountered unjust suffering. 
And that begs the question, how did Jesus encounter unjust suffering and how did he respond? All right, so the example that Peter is gonna use when he's talking about how Jesus encountered unjust suffering was the cross. He's, he's using the example of the cross here. And, and listen, if there has ever been a person in the history of the planet that encountered unjust suffering, it was Jesus on the cross. I mean, think about it. This is a man who's never committed any sin. Scripture's really clear. Jesus was perfectly sinless. This is a man who's never done anything wrong in his entire life. And yet he was tortured, he was beaten, he was mocked, he was stripped naked, and he was hung on a cross by his hands and his feet for six hours. Right, And so that, that's the physical suffering that came in his life unjustly. But on top of that, the scripture says that he suffered incredibly spiritually. The Bible says he bore our sins on the cross. Now why that's an unjust suffering is because here's a man again, he's never sinned. He, he didn't deserve the cross. He, he, he had never known the sting of sin or the shame of sin. And the Bible says that he, that's Jesus, who knew no sin became our sin so that you and I might become the righteousness of God in him. And so church, that is unjust suffering. And Peter reminds his church and he reminds you and me, again, Jesus experienced the greatest picture of unjust suffering in the history of the world. And listen, and through that, he gave us an example. And through that, he gave us an example on how you and I are to do it and we're supposed to follow in his footsteps. And so listen, I know that all of us in this room aren't experiencing right now unjust suffering, but some of you are, some of you are. And here's, here's kind of the, the first thing I want you to remember if you're walking in that right now as we speak is that Jesus has walked in it before you. Jesus did not have this easy, perfect life. The thing you're going through Jesus went through it to the nth degree. And what Jesus is saying to you today is he's like, hey, come and follow me. Come and follow me. Come and follow in my footsteps. All right, so look at the text again. And we're gonna start looking and, and see this example that Jesus gave us as he walked through unjust suffering that we're supposed to follow in his steps. Verse 21, again, <clears throat> he says, for to this you have been called. To this you've been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps, and then he gets specific. In verse 22, it says, he committed no sin. And so Peter's saying, hey, Jesus suffered. He gives us an example that you might follow in his steps, and the first thing he says about the way that we're supposed to follow in Jesus' steps is like, when Jesus was being sinned against, he did not sin in return. He did not sin in return. And now listen, it's important to remember, guys, that the catalyst of almost all unjust suffering is sin. Kind of the foundation or the genesis of all unjust suffering that you're gonna encounter in your life is the result of the sin of other people, right? Um, I'm not talking about cancer here. I'm talking about when you're suffering because of another person. Okay, your husband or your wife or your boyfriend or your girlfriend cheats on you. That's sin. And you experience unjust suffering because of their sin, right? Your, your, um, your boss is a prideful, arrogant jerk. And, and that's, that's his sin. And then now you're experiencing suffering because of his or her sin. Your best friend stabs you in the back. 
He stabs you in the back. That's sin. And then now you're experiencing suffering because of their sin. You take a stand for a Christian principal at a university and your professor ridicules you. That's sin. And now you're experiencing suffering because of their sin. Your child is treated poorly at school. They're being bullied. That's sin. And now you and your children are experiencing unjust suffering because of other people's sin. The cause of almost all of this kind of suffering is founded in sin. And I don't know about you, I don't know about you, but when I'm sinned against, when I'm actually sinned against, my, my, my immediate knee-jerk fleshly reaction is to want to sin against them in return. Right, anybody with me? Just one guy down here. Everybody else is like, no, I walk in the spirit all the time. <laughs> I wanna give you guys <clears throat> two examples of um, one where I, uh, I handled this really, really, really poorly in my life. And then I'm gonna tell you an example of when I handled this more in the spirit. And um, the, 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 the time where I handled it really poorly was about 10 years ago and, and it's bad. And so if you need to leave the church after this, I totally I understand. All right, so, but I'm just gonna be real honest with you. So <clears throat> I, um, this is the one where I failed miserably at not sinning and returned to sin. I, back in 2002, um, I'd been, praying for that point for about three years that God would give me the opportunity to plant a church. And I was kind of feeling called to do it, but I didn't just wanna go jump into it. I wanted the opportunity to really, I wanted God to really show me clearly is what, what he wanted me to do. And so for literally three years, I prayed, God, it's what you want me to do. You need to make it clear. <clears throat> and I was going to a Baptist seminary at the time. And I, you'll, you'll see why the Baptist matters here in a second. And um, I took, I was taking a church planning class and I took this church planning assessment and I scored really well on it. And so the professor of the church planning class saw my grade and he came to me and he said, hey, you scored really well on this church planning assessment. And and there was this organization from that seminary that planted churches. They're like, we would like for you to plant a church through this seminary's church planning organization. And my initial thoughts were, that's awesome. That's amazing. God is finally, finally, after three years answering my prayers, this, this opportunity just fell in my lap. And so the next day, he's like, hey, come, come to my office. I'd like to do a kind of a preliminary interview and then we'll get the process started and you, you can start planting. <clears throat> so he sat me down for the interview. And the first question that he asked me was, what, what church are you currently serving in? And at the time, I was an associate pastor at the Woodlands United Methodist Church near Houston. Now, most of you guys probably are too young to know, but for a long time, Baptists and Methodists, they don't like each other. I'm not gonna get into that. It's just, just trust me, right? And so I said, I'm working at the Woodlands United Methodist Church. And he looked at me, I kid you not, this is what he said to me. He said, why? Um, I was, that, that one tripped me up. I was, uh, I was like, God called me to it. And he just kind of stared at me, didn't say anything. And, and Chris Tomlin, the, that famous worship leader dude, he, he worked with me at that church at the time. So I thought, all right, I'm gonna, drop it, I'm gonna name drop right here. And I was like, hey, have you ever heard of Chris Tomlin? He works there. The guy was like, never heard of him, right? <laughs> Long story short, he, he withdrew right then and there. He withdrew the offer to church plant. And so I'm, I'm like, Dude, my parents are Baptists, my grandparents are Baptists, my great-grandparents are Baptists, my great-great-grandparents are Baptists. I was born in a Baptist church, I was baptized in a Baptist church. Um, I got saved in a Baptist church. I'm going to a Baptist seminary for crying out loud. 
and he's like, I don't care. And he withdrew the offer. <clears throat> well, a short time later, long story, I won't bore you with it, but I got another offer from another Baptist organization to plant the Austin Stone. And then I came and moved to Austin and we planted this church and Austin Stone became one of the fastest growing churches in the United States. And a few years after that, just a couple of years after that, I was, I was speaking at a conference and I walked off the stage and lo and behold, I look up and that professor dude is walking towards me. And in my brain, I'm thinking, sweet. <laughs> this guy's gonna come repent in dust and ashes because he sees the anointing of the spirit of God, obviously, <laughs> on my life. <clears throat> he walked up to me and he said, he said, hey, I wanna introduce myself to you my name is so-and-so and so-and-so, and I just wanna tell you, man, I really enjoyed your sermon. Thank you so much for preaching that. And it hit me, this guy doesn't know who I am. This guy does not remember me. And I looked at him, and, and this is when the sinful part comes in, and I was like, um, I was like, well, let me remind you who I am. My name's Matt Carter, and I actually was in your church planning class, and you actually offered for me to plant a church, but then you found out I was, I, was, I was working at a Methodist church and you would draw the offer. So I planted the Austin Stone Dadgum Community Church through another organization. Big mistake. You see, here's the thing. <clears throat> Albeit small, I, I, I suffered unjustly through that guy. I, I was given, I was not given the opportunity to plant because of some prejudice that, that he had against some other denomination, but, but how did I respond to that? I was prideful, I was arrogant, I was mean-spirited, and in other words, I sinned. I responded to his sort of sin with some real sin. And in, in case you're wondering, about five years ago, I saw the guy again, I walked up to him, I, I, I begged his forgiveness. And I said, man, I was so arrogant, I'm so sorry, please forgive me. But that, that's one of many examples in my life where I did not follow in the footsteps of, of Jesus. I was, I was sinned against, and then the very first chance I got, I sinned back. All right, you ever done something like that? Well, here's a, here's a more recent example of, really, by the grace of God, I didn't respond in my flesh, even though I wanted to, responded in the, in the example, in the footsteps of Jesus. <clears throat> Pardon me, sorry, I'm coughing. There, about three weeks ago, I got the worst and most hurtful email I've ever gotten in my 22 years of ministry. This, this is not one of the worst, this, was, this one took the cake. And um, most of the time when I get negative emails, like it, it doesn't bother me, I kind of get that that's part of the, part of the job and kind of comes with the territory. And, and I rec I've recognized pretty easily that people that are hurtful, a lot, a lot of times that's coming from a place of hurt in their life. And so it's pretty easy to respond with kindness and compassion to, to this person because I kind of get that's where it's coming from a lot of times. But this, this particular email got me. It hooked me. And mainly because it was so personal. It was really, really, really personal. He, uh, he talked about my hair in it. I'm glad y'all think that's funny. That was not funny to me when I read it. Like, what's wrong with my hair? I'm having the same haircut since eight. <laughs> if it's bad, then I feel really bad about myself. Um, he talked about the way that I dress. 
And he, he was like, man, you and your skinny jeans. And I, my first thought was, oh, he th- he's talking about Aaron Ivy. He's not talking about me because I've only won, wore skinny jeans one time in the entire time in the history of the church, which I guess he came to church on that Sunday because I want y'all to know something. These are not skinny jeans. These are stretchy pants jeans that I'm wearing right now. True story. Paid a lot of money to feel comfortable while I'm preaching in my stretchy pants. He disparaged my character. He disparaged the intentions of my heart. He disparaged my preaching, this church. It was really, really, really nasty. And he ended the email, true story, he ended the email, but he says, bottom line, you are a piece of excrement. Didn't say excrement. And he says, I hope I never see your face again. And um, I'm gonna tell you something. Listen, I, I was, it was a sinful email. And even though I, I, I really, I pretty quickly realized, okay, look, this God does not know me. <clears throat> a lot of what he said is just not even true about my heart, what I believe, my intentions. He's, he's obviously in a place where he's in a bad place, but I, I, just want, I just want to know something, it bothered me. And it didn't just bother me, it hurt. And it didn't just hurt, it made me mad. You ever been there when somebody kind of comes at you like that and, 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 and anger starts rising up. And y'all need to understand something. Look, guys, I'm a pastor, but I'm just a guy. I'm just a normal guy. And people that know me, they know Matt Carr is just a dude. He's just normal. Like, I'm a human being. And so for a couple of minutes, after, just a couple of minutes after I read that email, the, the, the sinful um, East Texas redneck country boy, Texas Aggie fighting Corps cadet, that's not a compliment. Um, like, um, fleshly <laughs> Matt Carter, just for a minute, started kind of rearing its ugly head. And here's what, here's what, I, wanted, here's what I wanted to say. I, I mean, I'm, not, I'm, I'm just being real honest with you. Here's what I wanted to write because I was mad. I wanted to write, all right, young man, he's about 24. All right, young man, I'll tell you what, I'm gonna send you my address. And once you and I meet in my backyard, and you come say that to my face. That's what I wanted to say. But I didn't. I prayed, I did, I prayed. I was like, God, ah, this hurts. Would you give me the strength to respond like Jesus did? And I wrote this kid and I said, look, man, for whatever the ways that I've hurt you, please forgive me. And for whatever ways my character have caused you to question the church or question God or what, please forgive me in a minute. And I even offered to meet with him. I was like, man, I think you and I would probably be friends if we met each other. But see, here's the thing. The scripture says, to that you have been called. That when you're sinned against, you don't sin in return. We follow in his steps. And then he goes on in, in verse 22, let's look at 22. He says, he committed no sin, right? So we have this example, we follow his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was being lied against, he didn't lie in return. And then look at verse 23, this is when it gets really hard. It says, when he was reviled, that means he's spoken ill against, he was vilified. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. 
When he suffered, he did not threaten. And so let me just tell you something. That statement right there, this kind of second example that Peter gives, that when Jesus was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he was spoken ill against, he didn't speak ill against the other person in return. I want you to know something. That is not easy to do. When, when, when someone speaks negatively about you, I'm telling you, you know this, in the flesh, our heartbeat is like, hey, you wanna talk about me? You wanna talk about my issues? Let's talk about you for a second. Let's talk about your issues. And Peter says, look, man, you need to watch. You need to check out the way that Jesus handled this on the cross. You need to watch the way that Jesus handled being reviled on the cross for six hours. It says he did not revile in return. And that's fascinating when you think about it. The Roman soldiers cried out to him, hey, I thought you were the king of the Jews. Very mocking, condescending, they, they made a plaque, nailed it over his head. He never said a word. Roman soldier cries out to him, hey, I thought you trusted God. You trust God so much, why don't you trust God to take you down off the cross? Oh wait, you can't. Have nails in your hands and feet. And there were a lot of things he could have said right there, he never said a word. The thief on the cross hurled insults at him and hatred at him. He never even responded. And as a matter of fact, the only thing that Jesus ever said to the verbal hatred that was coming his way, the only thing he ever said was, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Jesus' response to the deceit, Jesus' response to the mockery, Jesus' response to the insults and the hatred was love and kindness and forgiveness. And 2,000 years ago, the scripture is calling out to you and it's calling out to me and saying, child of God, to this you've been called. To this you have been called. Jesus gave you an example. Follow in his steps. All right, and so, almost done here, hang with me. I think that begs the question, right? How in the world do we do that? How do we do that? The Bible just said, hey, when I'm sinned against, when I'm lied about, when I'm reviled, when I'm mocked, I'm supposed to follow the footsteps of Jesus and respond in kindness, love, and forgiveness. That ain't easy. How do I do it? Peter tells us, look at verse 23. He says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. And the next statement tells, Peter tells us how Jesus did it. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. That's a really cool little statement right there about how Jesus hung on the cross for six hours, never got mad, never cast an insult, never reviled in return. How did he do that? Peter lets us into the mind and the heart of Jesus. And for six hours, Jesus hung on the cross and he said the whole time he kept entrusting himself to God because he knew that God would judge that situation justly. That's the answer to the question about how Jesus didn't sin when he was sinned against. That's the answer to the question how he didn't revile in return when he was reviled. That's the answer to the question about how Jesus responded to love and kindness forgiveness in the midst of this unbelievable example of unjust suffering. The Bible says that the whole time he just kept trusting that God at the end of the day would handle the whole thing. 
And I want to tell you something, guys. You know the reason? You know, like, at the end of the day, the foundational reason we respond or feel like we have to respond when we're wronged? We feel like we have to revile when we're reviled. We feel like we have to make that statement. We feel like we have to kind of lash out when we're lashing out against. The reason that is is because at the end of the day, we don't trust that God is on his throne. And we feel like that we have to sit on the seat of judgment and we don't trust that God is already sitting on his throne of judgment at the end of the day, he's gonna make it all right. It says that Jesus entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. I love what King David said in uh, Psalms 27, 13. He, his life has fallen apart. He's going through it. He says, my, my father and my mother have forsaken me. Um, my enemies have risen up against me. And I love what he says in verse 13. He said, I would have despaired. I would have despaired unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He says, wait. If you're in that place, you're, your parents forsake you, your enemies are rising up against you, he says, wait for the Lord. Wait for the Lord. Be strong and let your heart take courage. Yes, wait for the Lord. Real quick, let me just tell you just a real short, short story. I read an um, autobiography years ago by this lady named Corey Tinboom. She was um, captured by the Nazis, World War II, sent to a concentration camp. Family was killed, the concentration camp. She had this particular guard that was a little bit older than her. It was especially cruel to her. She was saved, um, uh, gotten out of the concentration camp. She became Christian. Years later, I think she was in her 50s, she was speaking about forgiveness at a church. And she looked up at the end of the sermon and the guy that was her guard came walking up at the end of the message. And she said that she immediately started shaking just uncontrollably, she was shaking. It's the guy that killed her family. And he walks up to her and he says, you don't know me, but I used to be a guard at so-and-so concentration camp, and I did unspeakable things, but I've become a Christian, and I want to ask for your forgiveness for what I did, and it hit her. She's like, this guy, does, this guy didn't even remember me. You know, how could he? She said there were thousands of women there. How could he remember that I was just one little girl that he abused? She said everything in her flesh wanted to attack him, to jump on him, to revile him, to hurt him, to remind him. So she paused and she just prayed this little prayer. She said, Lord, give me the strength. Lord, give me the strength. Lord, give me the strength. And she said, yes, I forgive you. How in the world do you do that? How in the world do you do that? When your spouse cheats on you, how do you follow the example of Christ? When you have a friend that betrays you, how do you follow the example of Christ? When, when, when your boss overlooks you, when the world attacks you, when the stranger calls you a name for the color of your skin, 
How do you do that? And the answer is two things. You remember the example of Christ on the cross and you trust God that one day he's gonna make it all right. That's how you do it. And I'll end with this. In my experience, there are very few things that I've experienced in my life that are more difficult than responding with love and kindness and forgiveness when you've been wronged. But I want you to know something. I'll tell you this. There are very few times in your life where you'll look more like Jesus than when you do. All right, let's pray together. Father, I'm reminded that the only way that we are able to do this is because of your example. And let us not forget that we're able to forgive and we're able to love the unlovable and the unforgivable because you forgave the unforgivable in us. And that's what the cross is all about. And so Lord, I wanna pray right now for anybody that is in the sound of my voice that is experiencing unjust suffering right now. And they're on the edge, they're contemplating, they're thinking about responding in sin, responding in anger and hurt and bitterness. Lord, I pray right now they would remember the example of Christ. Lord, I pray that you would give them the strength to walk in your steps. Father, I pray for those in this room that aren't suffering, but one day soon will, Lord. I pray that they would remember the word of God. It says, to this you were called. To this you were called. Follow in the steps of Jesus. Lord, I pray that we would be a people that when we suffer, we would suffer the way that Jesus suffered and we would do it for your glory. And I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Church, let's stand together and let's worship our God today.